turn in God's holy word to Jeremiah chapter 37. Jeremiah 37, 1 through 21. Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah, reigned instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim. But neither he, nor his servants, nor the people of the land listened to the words of Yahweh that he spoke through Jeremiah the prophet. King Zedekiah sent Jehuchal, the son of Shelemiah, and Zephaniah the priest, the son of Maaseiah, to Jeremiah the prophet, saying, Please pray for us to Yahweh our God. Now Jeremiah was still going in and out among the people, for he had not yet been put in prison. The army of Pharaoh had come out of Egypt, When the Chaldeans who were besieging Jerusalem heard news about them, they withdrew from Jerusalem. Then the word of Yahweh came to the prophet Jeremiah. Thus says Yahweh, God of Israel, Thus shall you say to the king of Judah who sent you to to me to inquire of me, Behold, Pharaoh's army that came to help you is about to return to Egypt to its own land. And the Chaldeans shall come back and fight against the city. They shall capture it and burn it with fire. Thus says Yahweh, Do not deceive yourselves, saying, The Chaldeans will surely go away from us, for they will not go away. For even if you should defeat the whole army of the Chaldeans who are fighting against you, and there remained of them only wounded men, every man in his tent, they would rise up and burn the city with fire. Now when the Chaldean army had withdrawn from Jerusalem at the approach of Pharaoh's army, Jeremiah set out from Jerusalem to go to the land of Benjamin to receive his portion there among the people. When he was at the Benjamin gate, a sentry there named Arijah, the son of Shelemiah, son of Hananiah, seized Jeremiah the prophet, saying, You are deserting to the Chaldeans. And Jeremiah said, It is a lie. I'm not deserting to the Chaldeans. But Arijah would not listen to him and seized Jeremiah and brought him to the officials. And the officials were enraged at Jeremiah, and they beat him and imprisoned him in the house of Jonathan the secretary, for it had been made a prison. When Jeremiah had come to the dungeon cells and remained there many days, King Zedekiah sent for him and received him. The king questioned him secretly in his house and said, Is there any word from Yahweh? Jeremiah said, There is. Then he said to him, You shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon. Jeremiah also said to to King Zedekiah, What wrong have I done to you, or your servants, or this people, that you have put me in prison? Where are your prophets who prophesied to you, saying, The king of Babylon will not come against you and against this land? Now hear, please, O my lord the king, let my humble plea come before you, and do not send me back to the house of Jonathan the secretary, lest I die there. So King Zedekiah gave orders, and they committed Jeremiah to the court of the guard. And a loaf of bread was given him daily from the baker's street, until all the bread of the city was gone. So Jeremiah remained in the court of the guard. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Father, how stunning your patience, your long suffering, not simply 
with this wicked world, but even with those who have known, heard of, proclaim, profess your covenant mercy and love. Father, expose any hypocrisies in us. Expose any kind of half-heartedness. Expose any kind of false impressions, even self-deceptive perceptions, that we seek You, we seek Your truth, we seek Your ways, whenever it's just a veneer over our own selfishness to cover up, to suppress truth, conviction, our conscience. And so may Your Word fall heavy on us with convicting grace that we receive well for our healing and restoration that we might be whole and conformed to the image of Christ in whose name we pray, Amen. Blindness can appear like looking. Deafness can sound like listening. And though God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble, there is a kind of wickedness that looks weak and is no less damnable for its appearance. Many who seem to be searching for God are really those who are running fastest away. And so what might at first sight seem honorable, upon further examination, proves grotesque. Our text this morning compares, concerns three characters, or if you will, two characters and then a group that will personify as another character. We have here the good, the bad, the ugly. The good, obviously, is Jeremiah. The bad, the wicked officials who want to imprison him unjustly. And the ugly is Zedekiah. And his appearance may fool you initially in our text. But as you consider him further, his... Ugliness grows apparent. And chapter 37 begins with this broad introduction in verses 1 and 2. Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah, reigned instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim. But neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land listened to the words of Yahweh that he spoke through Jeremiah, the prophet. Remember beginning with chapter 21, we came to a new unit within Jeremiah. And we flipped a switch from encountering a predominance of poetry to now a predominance of prose. And with that, whereas very little of the material in chapters 1 through 20 has any kind of uh, setting, any kind of chronology that we can make sense of, uh, a lot of the chapters since chapter 21 have given us a, a, a historical setting to root 
the prophecies that Jeremiah is giving in, or they've just been historical or narrative altogether. But in this instance, the setting that we're giving sounds a bit different. It sounds more like the beginning of a story rather than us jumping in the middle. For comparison, go back to the previous chapter, verses 1 and 2. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from Yahweh. Take a scroll, write on it, and, and so forth. And, and so it, you, you sense that you're in the middle of a story and just another piece is being added. But 37, Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king. It's not, it's not telling us, you're, you're told how Zedekiah came to the throne. It's almost as if this was the beginning of a story. There was a distinct unit of Jeremiah that got incorporated at this point. Chapters 37 through 45 appeared to have stood alone at some point. They're not only historical, they're largely, consistently, chronological. Which really stands out from most of the material that we've encountered in Jeremiah, which is arranged topically or theologically. And so this section, chapters 37 through 45, will take us from the end of Zedekiah's reign to the fall of the city and then beyond, all in order. And even though you sense that this is a kind of distinct section of Jeremiah, don't think it then inconsequential where it's placed within Jeremiah. Just because you see this piece stands apart, still contemplate why this piece was placed here in our story. Let's review just a bit. Chapters 32 and 33 are situated in exactly this time frame. Same one as chapter 37. Chapter 32, Jeremiah is imprisoned in the court of the guard whenever he redeems the piece of land uh, that is Hanamel, that Hanamel, his cousin, approached him about. Chapter 33, we have another word that Jeremiah received while he's imprisoned in the court of the guard. Chapter 34 flashes back just a bit prior to Jeremiah's imprisonment, but it's still in this same time frame. But then chapter 35 took us several years back to the reign of Jehoiakim, and chapter 36 to the fourth year of the reign of Jehoiakim. Why arrange the material in this way? And why flash back? You're, out, you're dealing with Zedekiah, and then we flash back to Jehoiakim, and now we're back to Zedekiah again. Why, why arrange it in this way? And as we've gone along, we've seen answers for why Jeremiah has arranged the material. But what I'm wanting to know now is immediately concerning this text. Why might the material be arranged in this way? And I think we'll see just a bit clearly the focused point of contrast that Jeremiah or the Holy Spirit has in mind. But I think there's a more general contrast. Under Jehoiakim, we saw the people fasting. And a contingency of the officials who feared when the Word of God was declared. Now, we're told, not the king, 
Not any of his servants. None of the people. None of them. Listen to the word of Yahweh. Through Jeremiah his prophet. And so consider verse 2 again now. In light of verse 1. No one's listening. And we're told. But neither he nor his servants nor the people listened. I think you can see why the ESV translators chose to translate that conjunction as but. Now, in the light of how, how we've built up to this chapter. Zedekiah, which Zedekiah? The Zedekiah that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, put on the throne. That Zedekiah reigns but no one listens. Under Jehoiakim, people are fasting. Contingency of officials listen. Now, no one listens. And they list, don't listen despite what Jeremiah said coming to pass. Babylon has defeated Judah, like he said. Babylon has carried off, and he's died somewhere en route, Jehoiakim. And Jehoiachin, his son, has only reigned a short three months, fulfilling what Jeremiah spoke of him not having an heir to sit on the throne, chapter 36 and verse 30. And concerning what Jeremiah spoke, spoke pointedly concerning Jehoiachin not having an heir, chapter 22. 28 through 30. And though all this has happened, still they don't listen to Yahweh's word through Jeremiah. And the same contrast persists to this day. The word of Yahweh has and continues to demonstrate itself true. And still we don't listen. The kings of the earth, their officials, the people do not listen. And saints, do you not see this in your own heart, in your own lives? This is why we often encourage one another singing how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. What more can He say than to you He hath said, to you who for Refuge to Jesus have fled. How is it that we prove faithless after the word has again and again proved faithful? We disbelieve special revelation, scripture, despite general revelation constantly shouting its amen concerning the written word. A little History or a little science may seem to speak contrary to the word, but if we will just expand our view backward to take in a bit more history or patiently wait for the future to further unfold, creation does nothing but demonstrate the truthfulness of God's word again and again and again. 
And so do you see how blind Judah is? How blind Zedekiah is, and yet this blindness can appear like seeing. Zedekiah sends Jehuchel and Zephaniah the priest, asking that Jeremiah pray to Yahweh their God for them. Verse 3. This is not the first time that Zedekiah sins after Jeremiah seeking his ministry. We saw him do it in chapter 21. He'll do it again in verse 17 of this chapter. We'll see him do it again in chapter 38. And this now, I think, brings us to the focused contrast of why this chapter is set here after chapter 36. Jehoiakim burns the scroll. Zedekiah seeks the word. One burns the word, one is inquiring after it. So though Jehoiakim and Zedekiah are brothers, they couldn't be more different in so many ways. Zedekiah was weak, Jehoiakim strong. Zedekiah, mousy. Jehoiakim, brash. Zedekiah, acquiescing. Jehoiakim, domineering. Zedekiah vacillating, Jehoiakim apparently resolved, and despite all these differences, they are fundamentally the same. Don't let appearances fool you. Zedekiah, we'll see, his his deafness looks like hearing. He's really deaf. When Zedekiah sends these men, he's not simply asking for prayer as some penitent. He wants an answer, and he wants a certain answer. He wants a favorable answer. Verse 7 makes this clear. Thus you shall say to the king of Judah, who sent you to me to inquire of me. So initially it sounds like, please pray for us. There's... There seems to be this appearance of of admitting guilt. Pray for us. But then verse 7 makes clear, there's a question being asked. And Zedekiah, it's obvious, will become more apparent, has no intention of obeying God's hard word. He only hopes for an easy word. He is not seeking the word of Yahweh. He is seeking a word from Yahweh. The time whenever Zedekiah does this, we're told, verse 5, is whenever Babylon is withdrawn to deal with Egypt. And so Zedekiah doesn't really want to listen. He's only hoping each time his circumstances change that perhaps God's word has changed. Is this permanent? Can we relax? Will Babylon come back? Zedekiah doesn't want to change, repenting as the word tells him to. He's hoping that the word itself has changed. It's as though Zedekiah is trying to read the word in light of circumstances rather than reading circumstances in light of the word. He hopes because the circumstances have changed, God's word has changed. But God has been clear. He is immutable. He does not change. His word does not change. True, he has a word for the sinner. Left to himself, 
in his rebellion. And he has another word to the sinner, repentant, humble, and broken. But God's word doesn't change. He has a different word for each one of these entities. Who must change is not God, but man. Sinners. Judgment hangs over the heads of every wicked human soul. And His justice and righteousness are promised. His word concerning you will not change. But there is a word of grace and mercy that He's proclaimed in Christ that all who would repent and believe on Him shall be saved. Don't hope for any exception or mercy from God other than that. He will not change. His word is not changed. That is the only hope of grace and mercy that we have. You will not appear before God for Him to suddenly, I don't know, change His mind otherwise. Jeremiah's reply is that Pharaoh will return and Babylon will return. Pharaoh will return to Egypt. Babylon will return to Jerusalem to capture it and burn it. And did you see that Pharaoh came to help? There's been an arrangement made. It's been hinted at as we've gone through Jeremiah. There's been an arrangement made between Zedekiah and Pharaoh Hophra. He came to help. Zedekiah then turns to the Word only after he's turned to the world. Indeed, he only turns to the Word to see if his turning to the world will be successful or not. Woe to those who read the Word of God as some pagan tarot cards and not as the law of the Lord. When you say you want to know the will of God for your life, but your only concern is to secure or discover or know the way to some prosperous future and not... The law of the Lord. And obedience and submission to it, no matter the cost. Whatever you say, you're not seeking the will of God. You're seeking your own will. And God's endorsement on it. You are not running to God, seeking Him. You're running away from God, but you want to feel good about it. You want a spiritual veneer on it. Just because... Babylon has turned away. Jeremiah says, don't deceive yourself. It won't last. Verse 9. Fallen man is hungry to disbelieve God's truth. And he hunts for any hints to deny the obvious. He wants this false hope that everything's going to prove okay. And he will... Search diligently for the slightest clue and interpret it 
as grace. We don't need special revelation to know God is angry with man. General revelation makes that plain. Romans 1, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God reveals, man suppresses, deceiving himself. The reason why these lies are so easily and quickly believed is because we are eager to self-deceive. We want to suppress the truth. And the way we do this, Romans tells us, is by exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling man, birds, animals, creeping things. They run from true worship by false worship. Hating God can look like loving God. What is said to be worship can really be idolatry. To emphasize the certainty of destruction in this message, Yahweh says, even if you defeat the army of Babylon, you kill them all. So that the only Babylonians that are left are the wounded back in camp. The wounded would rise up and destroy the city. And it's these very kinds of words that chapter, they echo those of chapter 34. Which, it's the message of chapter 34, we're told in chapter 32, are the reason that Zedekiah remains imprisoned by Zedekiah. Chapter 32, 1-3, through three, The word that came to Jeremiah from Yahweh in the tenth year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the eighteenth year of Nebuchadnezzar. At that time, the army of the king of Babylon was besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the guard that was in the palace of the king of Judah. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says Yahweh, Behold, I am giving this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall capture it. And yet, even though it's these very kinds of words that are the reason why Zedekiah keeps Jeremiah in prison, Zedekiah is not so bold as to initiate the arrest himself. At the same time, verses 11 through 15, Babylon withdraws to deal with Egypt. In their absence, Jeremiah sets out to take care of some business in Benjamin to receive his portion among the people, verses 11 and 12. It's highly likely this has some relationship to that piece of land that he redeemed. When Jeremiah comes to the Benjamin gate, which is naturally the gate that leads out towards Benjamin, it's on the, south, on, it's on the north side of Jerusalem. If Jeremiah was deserting to... Babylon, it would make sense to go out the south. But he heads to the north, towards Benjamin. And as he 
gets ready to leave the city, a sentry at the gate, Arijah seizes him, accuses him of desertion, verse 13. And though this is a wicked accusation, it is not a baseless suspicion. It's not a baseless suspicion. It could have been investigated, but it's, it's not. It's handled wickedly. In response to that earlier inquiry that Zedekiah made in chapter 21, Jeremiah was to proclaim this word to the people. He who stays in this city shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. But he who goes out and surrenders to the Chaldeans who are besieging you shall live and shall have his life as a prize of war. For I have set my face against this city for harm and not for good, declares Yahweh. It shall be given into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire. Jeremiah 21, 9-10. And also, chapter 38, while Jeremiah is confined, he preaches this same message. Chapter 38, verse 2. And this was not simply a word that Jeremiah preached. Many had obeyed it. We're told about those who had deserted in chapter 38, verse 19, 39, verse 9, 53, verse 15. And so you can see why, though Jeremiah protests this is not so, you can see why Elijah is, is, you can see why he could be suspicious. During Jehoiakim's reign, we saw that there were this handful of officials that regarded Jeremiah with some degree of kindness. Whenever Nebuchadnezzar has already dealt with the city earlier, he carried off Jehoiachin, Jehoiakim's son, to Babylon, and he sets Zedekiah on the throne. And whenever that took place, we're told he also carried off the officials. So any of these officials that may have regarded Jeremiah with some degree of kindness are gone. And so whenever Elijah brings Jeremiah before the officials now, it's a group completely hostile to him. And so rather than this group of timid officials working quietly to help Jeremiah under a domineering king, we're set up now to see a timid king work quietly to help Jeremiah to some degree, despite these wicked and domineering officials. Also in chapter 26, early in the reign of Jehoiakim, there were those priests and prophets so angered by Jeremiah's word that they demanded his death. And they seemed to be ready to act on it right then, but they were intercepted by the officials who upon hearing Jeremiah for more fully, along with the people, acquitted him. And so this sets you up to see that the major issue now is not the baseless accusation of Elijah. We're well beyond that. The greater evil is the injustice of there being no real trial at all. Verse 15. On nothing more than Elijah's accusation, they beat him and imprison him. 
Deuteronomy 19, 15 through 21 tells us how this should play out. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before Yahweh, before the priest and the judges who are in office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a false witness, and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear, and you shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. And you add to this that the word of Yahweh for His people was to desert, to surrender to the Chaldeans. It heightens the injustice all the more. It's Elijah who should be punished, not Jeremiah. And also Jonathan's house that he's imprisoned in. It shouldn't give off a domestic house arrest kind of vibe at all. Verse 16 speaks of this dungeon that he's in. And then verse 20, I think, makes it clear that the house of Jonathan is the dungeon. Don't send me back to the house of Jonathan the secretary lest I die there. So what's very likely is that the cistern by Jonathan's house is the part of the prison that Jeremiah is confined to. The word that you have translated dungeon is the same word translated cistern in chapter 38. Whenever it's clear, Jeremiah has been thrown into a cistern. So these officials here, in all of this, you see, show no regard, no care, no concern, no reverence for the king as those officials did under Jehoiakim. Well, chapter 38, you'll get even uh, more information that causes you to see that it's these officials who are really in charge now. Jeremiah remains in this hazardous dungeon for many days. The king, who upon learning of any of this, should have responded by carrying out justice, does nothing of the sort. Jeremiah is there for many days. It's only after the king's self-concern so bothers him that he sins, and he sins secretly for Jeremiah, asking him if there's a word from Yahweh, verses 16 through 17. Now, if you demonstrate such a lack of concern for God's prophet, are you really concerned about the prophecy? Beware a Zedekiah heart that only seeks favorable answers in the word during hard times. Now, in a crisis and tragedy and difficult times, should we turn to the Word of God more earnestly? Absolutely. But we should have already been there. And if we turn anew, it should be a turning of repentance and humility 
and contrition. If you find that your zeal for the Word of God wanes as the fires of your trial lessen, beware. Because very likely, while you've escaped a temporary flame, you've kindled an eternal one. Jeremiah's answer is as terse as the king's question. There is. While this could just be the brevity of of the report we're given. The, the, The conversation might have been more elaborate. I think it played out pretty much as we have it here. I think the, the idea of this short answer, you shall be delivered into the hand of king of Babylon, is God's word hasn't changed. Everything's the same. I don't need to elaborate on the point. You don't need a lot of more information here. There is. Nothing's changed. That's the word. And unlike the king, Jeremiah now, now makes a request, verses 18 through 20, but his, his, his request is rooted in truth and justice. Jeremiah's done no wrong, and he's in prison, while the false prophets are nowhere to be seen. Again, a just king who's really concerned about God's word would know that it said, The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I've not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know that, the word, uh, that the, Yahweh has not spoken? The word that Yahweh has not spoken. When the prophet speaks in the name of Yahweh, if the word does not come to pass or come true, That is a word that Yahweh has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So what Zedekiah should do is implicitly understood with this. I'm imprisoned. I told you they're coming. It's come to pass. They told you it wouldn't. It did. And yet... Though it's implicitly understood, Jeremiah just makes a simple plea. Don't send me back to the house of Jonathan, lest I die. And I don't think Jeremiah is being melodramatic. I think this is absolutely true. If Jeremiah continued to be confined there, he would die. Jeremiah wasn't being incarcerated. He was being slowly tortured to death by neglect. And the king answers, verse 21. But just as the king half-heartedly asked the prophet of the the Lord, now he half-heartedly answers the prophet of the Lord. You can imagine the way the modern press would run with something like this. Though the prophet gives an unfavorable answer to the king. The king gives a favorable answer to the prophet. But it's the king's act that's wicked. Jeremiah's that is righteous. Again, things are not always how they might appear. We can see God's goodness in Zedekiah's actions, but 
There's nothing good in Zedekiah's actions in and of themselves. A strong, righteous, and just king would have freed Jeremiah, publicly exonerated him, slain the false prophets, removed from office all these wicked officials, and very likely, I think justice would demand them to have been executed for what's happened. But instead, the king takes half measures. And what he really does by these false measures is progress from not listening to the word of Yahweh by inquiring for a specific favorable word instead, to not listening to the word of Yahweh by keeping the Lord's prophet imprisoned until he receives that favorable word. You get no respect from God for half respecting His Word. A weak refusal to listen is just as abominable as a strong one. What both Zedekiah and Jehoiakim really worship is themselves. One is concerned for self-preservation demonstrates it in his weak acquiescing manner and the other is concerned for his self-preservation and demonstrates it in a tyrannical manner. Wickedness can look weak. And such is not the humility that God looks on with favor. We live in a world full of such half-hearted measures in response to the Word of God. And such half-heartedness really testifies to a heart wholly selfish. Sometimes blindness looks like seeing. Sometimes hearing looks like... uh, Deafness sounds like hearing. Sometimes seeking is really running away. And so concludes this tale of the good, the bad, and the ugly. The unwavering prophet, the wicked officials, and the weak king. Does that lineup sound familiar? Unwavering prophet, wicked officials, weak ruler. This unwavering prophet who, no matter the cost, proclaims the truth. It's true as we look ahead that Pilate does not come off looking so pathetic as Zedekiah, but he's every bit as politically pragmatic. The priests seek crucifixion. Pilate's caught in this hard place. And Jesus doesn't simply proclaim the truth, that He is the truth. And He makes no plea for His own life. Instead, he speaks the truth, knowing it will lead to his execution. He endures rather than escapes suffering. Indeed, he endures the greatest suffering there's ever been. This should remind us at this juncture that more than we need to emulate Jeremiah's boldness and courage, or the Christ who he anticipated, We need to listen. 
before we emulate any of this courage, we need what we most need is to listen. Jehoiakim appeared bold, but he was foolishly so. He was daring, but also deaf, and that's a deadly combination. So the call isn't, be bold. The call is, listen. Listen to the word of Yahweh. Judgment is certain. Cease your rebellion. Surrender to God's King. And you will not only keep your life, you have no life. If you surrender to God's King, you will be given life. Kiss the Son in repentance and faith. And there is pardon and grace. There is no hope otherwise. He does not change. His word does not change. Rather, He commands, commands all men everywhere, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Let's pray. Father, first we plea for any here who they've given an impression by their profession that they know You and love You. But there's only a veneer of righteousness but when it's really examined, it's self-seeking. And they've got Zedekiah hearts concerning your word, concerning Christ. Father, make it plain to them and give them ears to hear and grant them faith and repentance. Save their souls. Father, we plead for our children. For those who have heard the word. That their ears would be open to it. That they would not be hypocrites. And apostates. Father we plead. For those. Who have fallen away. Hoping better things of them. Bring them back Father. Father. Though not to the same kind of degree. Grant us repentance to see this kind of sinful heart. In all of us that so often comes to this to your holy word with such self selfish aims. May we listen earnestly, ready to obey. And having done so, by your grace, 
May we boldly proclaim your truth. Your unchanging truth. No matter the cost. In hope. That some might desert their loyalty to this world. And bow to you. In your absolute sovereignty. For you are worthy. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.